Well, hello everyone, and uh, thanks for joining me for the first episode of my podcast. Uh, in this episode, I hope to educate uh, whoever's listening, really, uh, on a pretty fairly regularly talked about technology, um, and try and do that in a way that's easy for you to understand. And I think the whole reason that I want to do this podcast at all is actually to help myself uh, learn a little bit more about different technology concepts. Um, and the first one that we're going to talk about today is blockchain. And we're going to use Bitcoin as an example, because if you've ever um, looked at different types of blockchain technologies, you'll know that each one of them uh, tends to use different uh, components to make up that blockchain. So different types of uh, consensus algorithms, um, different types of, of technology are used with each. So Bitcoin is arguably um, the first one. Um, so we use that as a starting point. So let's start this uh, conversation by talking a little bit about why blockchain actually came about. Um, for me, I found this quite a concept, uh, sorry, quite a complex concept, uh, complex system, and it involved a combination of a number of different technologies uh, and processes uh, in order to work. I really love technology, uh, in particular the things that came out of uh, advances uh, from Web 2.0, uh, the internet, social, uh, social media, um, all of the different things that the internet has afforded us probably in the last 10 to 15 years uh, have been the things that I've dreamt about as a kid. Um, but the internet uh, is good and bad. Um, you know, some things are negative, some things are positive. You can email your pals on the other side of the world. Uh, you can find pretty much any, uh, you know, any information about any topic, uh, and you can buy stuff. But all of this depends on um, a singular important uh, component, and that is the component of trust. So, is the person that's emailing you actually your friend? Uh, is the information that you're reading verified as correct, or is it fake news? Uh, and when you buy stuff, can you be sure that the seller is who you're uh, buying it from? Um, and can the seller be sure that you're actually the buyer? Well, not really. Um, I think that's um, something critical to, to take into account. We've architected some pretty rudimentary security measures um, to control um, the internet, uh, control trade in particular, uh, and make sure that we can rely on this to a certain extent. But ultimately, no one really knows, um, and this can be circumvented in a number of different ways. Uh, we see data breaches on a daily uh, hourly, if not, you know, seconds and minutes go by before another uh, breach occurs uh, on the internet. So this isn't so bad for things like email because a lot of the time this can be validated. Um, you know, you can see someone in person and say, "Did you send me that email?" Um, data can be can be fact checked, um, even though that's not such a you know great thing to rely on. But when it comes to something like a digital currency, um, basically, and before before Bitcoin and before the blockchain, uh, we just relied on money. Uh, we couldn't rely on digital coins because there was no way to trust uh, that the person actually owned uh, the digital token that they were trading. And there was no way to really stop them from double spending um, those tokens. Uh, but blockchain tries to solve that. The other thing that uh, was needed in traditional forms of, of money or fiat uh, currencies was a huge number of intermediaries, um, third parties such as central banks, um, banks themselves, um, traders of some 
you know, shape or form to basically put the controls in place and, and activate a double, lit, double ledger uh, system of some type to track money uh, and can protect it basically. I'm not going to go into the detail about how the monetary system uh, might or might not need to be changed. Um, there are sort of benefits uh, in and of itself uh, to move to a digital currency. But instead, let's focus on the, on the element of trust um, and why that's important. Um, <clears throat> and we'll, as I say, use Bitcoin as an example. So there are two main points uh, in relation to blockchain that I think are important for um, the everyday person to, to know. And that is, or, or those two points are, um, that it's a distributed database, firstly. So unlike a centralized database, uh, the aim of blockchain is to be distributed um, or decentralized, meaning that, that multiple copies of the ledger are held on multiple computers um, all over the network. Um, so that way you can't just change a database entry in one place um, and then obviously commit some type of fraud and say, actually, rather than five Bitcoin, I have 500 Bitcoin. Um, and we'll come back to that in a second. So distributed database. And the second point about Bitcoin or, or the blockchain, which is important to note, um, is that there is something that makes this secure. So even though it's on a multiple, uh, multiple computers, um, you know, someone can't brute force attack all the computers in the network uh, and change enough of them to give, a, give someone a higher balance of coins uh, because of this um, element of consensus and and riding on that is the consensus protocol so for me this is the most difficult part to understand about blockchain uh, in and of itself uh, and as i said uh, at the very start there are different types of consensus protocols um, that are in use and the one that uh, is in use for bitcoin is proof of work so this is basically how information goes from from one state to another on this shared database and how new information is accepted onto the ledger ledger so any of the computers uh, on the blockchain can make a change but only if they abide by the consensus protocol so if a computer tries to make a change outside the bounds of the protocol or if they try to change a transaction retrospectively the network rejects the change um, so when it comes to proof of work in relation to Bitcoin, uh, a hash function called SHA-256 or SHA-256 uh, explains how this works. So basically you can put anything into this hash function uh, and the result will be a 256-bit value. No matter what the information is that goes in, um, this 256-bit value comes out. So you could have hello one um, exclamation mark, um, throw this into um, this hash function and out will pop a 256-bit value. And it's kind of like a fingerprint. And I say fingerprint because the information looks completely arbitrary, um, but it's not. Even if you change a single character in the information going into the SHA-256 hash function, the resulting value will be different. But if you put that information or data back through the SHA function, um, it will basically return the exact same result and that's really important because what that means is that it's easy to validate uh, that someone has the correct 256-bit value um, or key. So if someone has the right version of the key then they can make changes to the database which is uh, permeated through the rest of the distributed blockchain and the only way for them to have got this key is to have used a massive amount of compute power to have run through different options um, through the hash function until they get the right key.
But how was the key generated um, in the first place? Well, it was generated by running the entire history of the blockchain, uh, and so all the entries before um, the current uh, block um, through, the, through the hash function, but with a single value different, which is called the nonce. So that way, uh, all the blocks are effectively placed on top, uh, a long history of ledger entries, all the way back to the Genesis block. Um, and the Genesis block is the one that was created by Satoshi Nagamoto, um, whoever he or she was, or group of people. Meaning that even if a single character is different um, in the hash function, it's going to return a different value. So therefore, the consensus protocol will reject the change. So that's the, that's the underlying basis of proof of work. So just to go over that again, um, you effectively pump some, some data, which is the history of the blockchain, through this hash function. It spits out um, a resulting uh, value, which is 256-bit um, value. Um, and then after you have that value, you basically can prove um, that you were able to, to do this. But the thing is, so the nonce, you don't know the nonce, so that means that you have to go through all the different um, permutations um, of the hash function until you find the right one. And that way, um, by having all of this data on top of each other, um, it becomes irrefutable. So only one version of the blockchain can survive. Um, if there is some reason that there's a fork, um, which is where two people solve proof of work at the same time. And this is done after the proof of, proof of work is propagated across the network. So um, the way I've heard this described is like two um, stones being thrown into a pond. That ripple effect is how the proof of work um, sort of ripples throughout uh, the distributed network. And then the, the person that solves the next block uh, the quickest, um, depending on which fork they're on, that becomes the accepted fork. So it's all about um, whoever has the most compute power um, basically forces the, the distributed network to, to progress. Effectively, voting uh, is done through this hashing power. Um, at the end of which, the shorter fork is abandoned uh, and the next block is released. So doesn't this mean that you could um, change a block uh, and then just effectively solve the next block before everyone else? Well, you could um, say um, change the, the database at, at block two or three, but then you'd have to make the change um, to all of the following blocks up to the current block. Um, you know, still going through that consensus protocol using huge amounts of compute power, um, and then you'd have to then solve the current block uh, before anyone else does all in under that 10 minute window. So to me, that sounds pretty secure uh, in the current day at least, uh, because we haven't got uh, the sort of quantum computing that, that it would require in order to, to, uh, to break the blockchain consensus algorithm, so to speak. So without going into further uh, detail about the technology itself, uh, we can reflect on that and think about how else the blockchain uh, could be useful. So you could have digital tokens such as Bitcoin, uh, Ethereum's Ether, uh, Cardano's ADA. They're all definitely good examples um, of cryptocurrency, but there are a myriad of other things that might be useful to have on a blockchain as well, such as digital contracts, uh, your health records, uh, music distribution, uh, smart voting, 
anything else that you can think of that you might want to ensure the validity of uh, through the use of a distributed blockchain network. So that is Blockchain 101. Um, I hope that is useful for you. Uh, the two concepts of the shared database and the consensus protocol are the, are the two pieces of the puzzle that were most difficult for me to understand. Uh, in future podcasts, I'll talk about different cryptocurrencies as well uh, and different types of the consensus protocol, uh, such as proof of stake. Uh, and uh, we'll also explore some other um, technology concepts as well. So stay tuned for the next episode. Uh, happy to receive any feedback on, on what you'd like to hear more about, uh, what I should do more of, uh, stop doing. Uh, thanks a lot for listening. And uh, yeah. Speak to you soon.